Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Sabah al-khair. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, everybody. Hello again. Uh, this week you are stuck with me. Last Wednesday, I spoke with an inspiring Palestinian woman who visited Australia from the refugee camps in Lebanon, Dr. Ulfat Mahmoud, author of a book titled Tears for Tershiha. Tershiha is her home village in Palestine. And she came for the launch last uh, Thursday. We spoke to her the day before and we explored um, her journey in the book and also as a refugee, as a nurse, as a director of an NGO that provides support for women in the Palestinian refugee camps uh, in Lebanon. So without further delay, this is my interview with Dr. Olfat Mahmoud, the author of the autobiography Tears for Tershiha, one of the publications of the Australian publisher Wildingo Press. So stay with me. Olfat, uh, uh, thanks for being uh, with us on Palestine Remembered. Thank you for you for uh, inviting me to this interview. Olfat, you came from Lebanon for the launch of your book, Tears for Tershiha, a Palestinian refugee's inspiring tale of her lifelong fight to return home. The launch will be tomorrow, but I'm sure you may have spoken with some Australians about your book. Tell me what you felt from your discussions about your book from the people you met in Australia. Last night we had the dinner and uh, not officially we launched the book and uh, uh, responded from the people where they all have, they all were very supportive they all talked about uh, yes Palestinian refugees should have a fair solution uh, they all talked about the right to return as well uh, and everybody wanted like the Palestinian problem to be solved as soon as possible. They have been refugees for 70 years and it's more than enough. I want to know why you wanted to share uh, your story in a form of a book as opposed to other forms of storytelling. 
I want to share my uh, story because it reflects the story of all refugees, the daily suffering, uh, the way we think, the way we look at Palestine. People think, like through my work, I traveled a lot and there are lots of misunderstanding. So I want this book to be a book where it's not an academic book, it's not a political book. It's a real story, real life. So I want anyone to pick up the book and read it and learn about the Palestinians. And I think the more people know about the Palestinians, the more support we will get. So that's the aim of the book. And actually, it's called Tears for Tarshiha. Tarshiha is my village, which I've never been in. I am not allowed even to visit like all other refugees. So uh, I want to say the right of return in another way. So this is why I call it Tears of Tarshiha. Tears of Tarshiha, that means, uh, first I want to call it Return to Tarshiha. Mm-hmm. But then I thought people would think that I'm already returned to Tarshiha. So tears for Tarshiha to say that we are still suffering and we are still working on the right of return. Tarshiha is a village or a small town in the north of Palestine. Most of the Palestinians, and maybe two-thirds of the Palestinian society in 1948 became um, stateless refugees. Tell me about what, when you discovered Tarshiha, maybe in your childhood, what was the first memories of Tarshiha in your childhood? When did you explore and discover this name? I'll tell you, always, always there was a night story about Tarshiha. You know, people uh, read books before they sleep. Or I remember when we were children, me and my cousins, we used to sit with my grandparents and they would tell us daily night story. And the daily night story was about Tarshiha. What is Tarshiha? Describing Tarshiha. So I have this image in my head about Tarshiha. But actually, the turning point was I was helping my grandmother cleaning her kitchen. And there was a big rusty key. So I looked at it and I said, key? key. Yeah. I said, what is this key? It's rusty. Yeah, like, throw it. Mm. And then, this is the first time I see my grandfather angry. We, like, oh my God, it's like I've done something really wrong. And he looked at me and he said, no, really, with the... So I said, okay, but this is the rusty key. And this is, and he said, this is the key to my house. Wow. Yeah. How old were you back then? Oh, very, like, like... Child. Child, like, maybe... Uh six years old, seven years old. And then I started, yeah, it was, he used to tell us a story from Tarshiha. Can you explain in language? Yeah, he, I'll tell you, uh, he used to talk about Tarshiha. But from that day, the story started to be more than just telling a story. Started to have meaning. And then he told us, yes, in the evening when we sat all together, he said, look, we didn't choose to be refugees. It's actually women and children had to leave because of war, because of they, they actually were forced to leave at gunpoint. Mm. And we thought it will be only a couple of weeks and we will return back to Tarshiha. We will return back to our home. So we took the key out with us and they were searching for a safe place for their children. Lebanon was very close, like our, my village is close to the border. So this is why they choose to go to Lebanon. 
only for a safe place for children because at that time we have dairy seen uh, massacre and we have other uh, massacres and lots of uh, destruction and so they wanted a safe place to their children they did not want to be refugees and then as i told you the story started to take more dimensions it's my homeland mm. it's the house of my grandparents mm. it's the house of my mother the house of my father so since that time it's like the story had something else made something else to me i i can imagine tarshiha I can see Tarshiha, visualize it, yeah. yeah. And actually, recently, we started to have, because of technology, and we started to have videos through Facebook and from Tarshiha. And I was so delighted. It's, it's, it's the same Tarshiha as it's in my mind. Yeah, and that means how accurate they were, my grandparents, to describe, and to, to describe Tarshiha. They were really, it's well done, really. I could see the streets, I could see, like, it's perfect. The it's, the it. same, it's the same image as I have in my mind. Now, personally, when I first heard of Tarshiha, mm. I was in Saudi Arabia in 1989, and there was a music band called Tarshiha, mm. and they came up with beautiful Palestinian folklore music, especially the Yoya, uh, the Yoya song. And we loved, we loved the band. Mm. And then we discovered the name of the band. And then this is the village of Tarshiha. You probably know that they were from Kuwait, you know, yes. the, the, the yeah, know. Kuwait-based uh, Palestinians. Yeah. So um, the type of uh, connection between people from Tarshiha in Kuwait and people from Tarshiha in Lebanon, mm. they don't know each other, but they both were longing for the same the same village. Exactly. What did that mean to you? It means we are, all of us, we are, even if they separate us, we still have one cause mm. to call for, which is the right of return. Mm. Now we have uh, people from Tarshiha who are still in Tarshiha. Mm. We are very, we are connected with them by Facebook. And all of us, I don't know them, but mm. still, because they are from Tarshiha, I feel the connection. And it's really, it's, um, it's, it's, I don't know, the experience is really great mm. because they always put videos, small videos yeah. on Facebook, and they always uh, put news who get married, who get uh, graduated from university. So it's a link, it's mm. a link. We feel we are, we are connected. Mm. Now, let's go back to Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon was home to most Palestinians who fled, because like you said, it was the closest geographical location to the north of Palestine. Um, tell me about the camp. Did you stay in the same camp that your grandfather went to? Yes. Tell me about the camp, and from there we can talk about the situations in the camps in general. Actually... Since 1940, after 1948, my grandparents went from one place to another place. At the end, they settled in this camp, Burj al-Barajni camp. I have uncles and aunts who went to Syria, for example. So families were scattered as well. And uh, life in the camp, what to tell you about the life in the camp? It's very miserable. I'm, it's very I'm miserable. going to pretend that I have not been to the camp. So you're talking to people who know nothing about Burj al-Barajne. Yeah. Uh, so take them, take them inside this. 
Okay. Uh, um, I'll talk about Burj Barajni. We camp as I come from there. Yeah. It's first of all. Let us look at the size. It's less than. Now, I'm talking about now. So um, yeah. it's less than square kilometer, and the population was before the Syrian problem. It was around 27,000. Now doubled. It's around 44,000 because Palestinian Syrian. Uh, came and joined their families in the camps mm. to, Due to the war. and they share very little resources yeah. and when the camps were established after 48 the agreement with the Lebanese government it's to be temporary place for Palestinians so which means uh, like uh, no water no electricity, no phone lines. Uh, infrastructure. infrastructure is very poor, very, very poor. People earlier lived in, uh, uh, like, the outside was open sewage system, which is really, like... Yeah. Uh, now the housing. There is no space. House next to another house. House to the other house, so there is no privacy even. You hear what your neighbor is saying. It's really, it's really miserable situation. Um, so to be generous, and we'll say one square kilometer was allocated to a next number of families in 48. Yeah. And these people have grown in terms of their children and grandchildren. But the size has stayed the same. It stayed the same. There is no way to expand. And to add, the only... the, to, add to it, in 2013 onward, then came the Palestinians from Syria. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the houses were built to, not to be permanent. It's temporary houses. So uh, it's not strong. They don't have a really strong foundation. Uh, no water, as I said, no electricity, no sunlight, because houses are very small, no space for children to play. You know, people make a joke because they know, like, in the West, how they treat dogs and cats. They say, like, dogs live better than us. Mm. The standards are yeah. worse than... Mm. Yeah, yeah. So... So it's not really a place and, to live. And not to mention the impact of the Lebanese civil war on the camps, because Burj al-Barajna camp was one of the camps that was fiercely hit. Yes, actually. And, um, yeah, add to all this miserable life is the war as well. Mm. Uh, also the regulations. Like, we don't feel secure in Lebanon. Like, when the government's changed, the prime minister can impose any regulation. For example, before 2001, Palestinians, if they can afford, they can buy flat outside the camps. In 2001, out of blue, they decided Palestinians have no right to own any property in Lebanon. So, but the camps are overcrowded, where people will live. So you don't feel secure, you never know with any new government what a new regulation will, will impose on you. Uh, also, Lebanon did not sign the right of refugees, of protection to refugees, yeah, this convention, uh, the right to protection for refugees. Which means that they are not obligated uh, to fulfill their legal duties towards refugees, especially the Palestinian refugees. Yes, yes it's true, yeah. It's true. And also, they always tell us uh, all these procedures they are doing, it's to make sure that we will return back. So they give it a good excuse. You can't negotiate even. They call it fear of tautin, fear of settlement. settlement. Yeah. But under this pretext, a long list of 
civil and human rights mm. have been denied. Yes, like and like, for example, access to facilities right to and right to work. Uh, there's a lot. Tell me about this particular point about their right to work in Lebanon. I know also the, the list is getting longer uh, with yeah. time. Uh, yeah, we have no right to work in Lebanon because we are treated as refugees, stateless. We have nothing to do with the Lebanese government or Lebanese services or anything like that. Sometimes some uh, ministers, they support Palestinians, so they say we will allow, but the unions will not. You know, even if the ministers decided to offer Palestinians like uh, some jobs, the unions would say no. Yes, they will say no and they block it. So until now we have no right to work in 72 jobs, which is everything anyway. Uh, and that's, it's not about only like people don't earn. Also, it affects the children, no motivation to school. Why they will study if in the future they are not going to work? There's no point. Yeah, so what's the point? And that makes it very difficult to the Palestinians, to their motivation, to education. And you know, Palestinians always loved education. And we always, like I remember, uh, my, my father used to say, education is another identity. It's you lose your dignity by being a refugee, but with education you gain it back again. Yeah. I want to talk about what it means for mothers, whether married or single mothers, or widowed, uh, to live in a, in a Palestinian refugee camp in, in, in Lebanon. Actually, I'll tell you, all people who live in the camp are vulnerable, mm. even men, because they lost their main role as breadwinner. Yeah. Uh, of course, women are very affected because uh, women, they see their children, uh, they are not motivated to school. If they are graduated, they are not working. So they have to deal with this issue. Also, they see like, you know, uh, like their husband is not getting any work, no money. Would, like He doesn't bring money to the family. So they, uh, and they, you know, in our culture, still woman is the one who go to the kitchen and cook and she finds nothing. So she would find it very very difficult i'm not saying that men they don't find it difficult they do as well but women are more in touch with this daily tasks yeah so uh, this is why she becomes women become really vulnerable and also you know because of stress stress related illness it's not easy to see your children suffering no it's not you suffer and you see your children suffer it's doubled mm. Uh, and actually, they, especially what's happening now in the region, makes people really upset. And it's like where we are now from all of this. Where is the Palestinian issue? You're talking about the, let's say, the regional problems like the Syrian, Syrian war? war? What's happened in Iraq, what's yeah. happened in Egypt, everywhere. Yeah. The Arab country is really falling, turn, apart. falling apart. Yeah. And then we say, oh, okay, where is our issue now? Where is our cause now? So that makes it makes people unhappy. You have a very strong profile as a Palestinian social worker in different organizations to do a lot of initiatives, magnificent work in, in, in inside the camps. Tell me about that, Olfat. Actually, I'm a psychologist. And I run a women's organization. Uh, 
Why women's organization? Because we want to focus on women's issue. And as the matter of fact, we have seen many things has, you know, we did we did not experience it earlier. Now we have it. It's like domestic violence, for example. Before, you count on your fingers uh, those men who had, you know, this uh, problem. But now, anyone. Because people are so uptight, they can't really pair what's happening. So it's increasing. The, live, the, level, the of, level of stress is very high. It's very, very high, yeah. yeah. And women, they understand, like, their husbands are really being uh, aggressive work, yeah. because they are out of work. So they bore their anger on their children. It's a cycle of violence. Yeah. And the children... Uh, you know, they imitate and they adopt this behavior. They become really also right. violence and active and, uh, and aggressive other, uh, towards everybody, mm. cats and towards animals and the human beings. And they think it's normal. This is the problem. When abnormal things becomes normal. Mm. So, so it's it's like this is why we started this organization What's and women's humanitarian organization. Uh, it's based in Burj and Shatila camp and south of Lebanon. Mm. Uh, it's to look at women's issue. And when we did needs assessment, women, they did not want anything for themselves. They want for the family, for the, kids, yeah. for the family and for the kids. And they told us how they are worried about the future of their children. So we do different activities, such as, like, you know, raising awareness, positive parenting in spite of all the problems and all the miserable life. Uh, we try to look at domestic violence by, uh, by counseling and talking to women, but I'll tell you, it's not solved. Why? Because all, all the domestic violence comes from men are not working the economic situation so how we can help with this but what we do we try to help women to cope with the problem and to know it's not her fault like she has she was not beaten because of her fault. yeah a bit of stigma yes exactly openly yeah but it's yeah it's we try to reduce this burden mm. and uh, we we do uh, educational programs as well for uh, children, uh, especially who are at risk to drop out, and also uh, children like a Palestinian Syrian who came and they lost the opportunity to go to school. Uh, so we these children we design a special program for them called ALB Accelerated Learning Program for the ex-Syria Palestinians. Yes, so in, in Burj. So yes. what we do. When they, they, we give them condensed program and then we take them back to school. Mm. Yeah, uh, we do also program with the children who are at risk to drop out. Mm. Uh, we do different different activities. It, we have program with disability as well. We have a, we have different programs. It depends on the needs of the community. Mm. So this is what we do. Uh, all that I have to admit, you know, this diffic it's difficult to try and um, narrow the big topic of Palestinians of Lebanon in one short interview with an expert like yourself. But nevertheless, there is a need that we have to get the best out of your visit here. And therefore, I want you to comment on the pressure on UNRWA that is put by mainly the United States and the new administration um, 
and also probably the international community neglecting the only the only source of survival for Palestinians. Okay. How do you comment on that? Okay. First of all, let me tell you, uh, they, uh, I talked about the programs we run, and I would like to thank AFIDA, the Union Aid Abroad uh, AFIDA, because they support lots of our programs. Uh, as well, we get from different parts of the world, like, you know, from Sweden, from uh, Britain, uh, so just I want to say this before I answer your question. And also, I'll tell you, we are very worried about UNRWA's fund cut because we, like, there is a talk about they will close down the schools and that would be a real catastrophe to close down the schools. What will happen to our children? It's a whole generation. It's impossible for parents to send them to private school with them. It's impossible. It's very expensive. Also, the unemployment, you know, because schools employ teachers and admin staff. Yeah, already UNRWA is now firing out many of their employees. So we believe, we believe the international community and UNRWA, uh, UNRWA, they put pressure on UNRWA, like uh, just for Palestine, cutting the funds. And I think... uh, and all of us think that it's putting pressure on us to accept any solution. When people are desperate, when people have, you know, their life is really out of range. They have miserable life. They can't really, they are, if I, like, like what you said, if I want to talk, I need hours and hours to talk about the health problem in the camps. Like people at the end get fed up and any solution they won't resist. They won't say no. I think the international community is now working on that. Make our life very hard, very harsh, cut all the support. So at the end, any solution, the Palestinian would say, okay. Hmm. Especially in light of what we have been hearing of the Safqat al-Qarn or the ultimate uh, the century uh, deal. Now I have uh, one more question. How practical is it that we can think of an umbrella body under which there are organizations like your organization and other NGOs so that they can coordinate their work? Because what I, from what I know, that some Palestinian refugees miss out on... Uh, miss out on aid and others might do a bit of double dipping if i can say so i i guess the solution the solution is coordination maybe an assembly that includes all the all all the organizations under what do you think how how practical is that we in burj barajni camp we have this umbrella we have all ngos who work in burj camp and in similar camps we have the same thing uh, we all meet together and we have uh, sort of like, you know, educational uh, unit. We have health units. So NGOs who work in education will participate, who work for health can participate. So we don't double our work and we complete each other. Yeah. So we've already, yes, we already actually, we started in the camps this within, coordination. Within the boundaries of Burj uh, and other camps okay. and other camps. We do this what and we... I can't answer you because I don't know in all camps, but the camps where we work, no, we have coordination. Okay. Okay. We have coordination and we meet regularly and we uh, we sort of like coordinate our work together. Excellent.
Um, it's been an honor, uh, Olfat, uh, talking to you. Uh, Dr. Olfat Mahmoud, the author of uh, Tears for Tershiha, a Palestinian refugee's inspiring tale of her lifelong fight to return home. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.